Welcome, I'm Prudence Robertson, and this is EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. Denied Holy Communion. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has been barred from receiving communion in the Archdiocese of San Francisco due to her pro-abortion stance. Former USCCB Pro-Life Chair Archbishop Nauman of Kansas and Bishop Pep Rocky of Illinois join us to discuss the importance of this decision. Abortion debate continues. In the aftermath of the leaked draft opinion in the Dobbs case, people on both sides of the debate are out in full force and pro-abortion politicians continue to push their life-killing agenda. We hear from Mary Margaret Olihan, DC correspondent at The Daily Wire. Faith and education. We take you to Belmont Abbey College, a Catholic school in North Carolina dedicated to the education of students in the liberal arts and sciences with a foundation of faith. We spoke to the president of Belmont Abbey College, Dr. William Fearfelder, who shares the beauty found within the school's brick walls. Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of San Francisco has banned U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi from receiving Holy Communion in her home Archdiocese of San Francisco. His announcement comes as the Speaker of the House continues to push her pro-abortion agenda publicly and unapologetically. In his letter, Archbishop Cordiglione says, quote, You are not to present yourself for Holy Communion, and, should you do so, you are not to be admitted to Holy Communion until such time as you publicly repudiate your advocacy for the legitimate of abortion and confess and receive absolution of this grave sin in the sacrament of penance. Archbishop Cordiglione has indicated that his door is still open to the Speaker of the House should she wish to discuss this decision with him and that he will continue to pray and fast for her. We are joined now by former USCCB pro-life chair, Archbishop Joseph Nauman of Kansas and Bishop Thomas Peprocki of Illinois. Both of them in the past have issued directives similar to Cordiglione's, barring Catholic leaders who are not living according to church teaching on abortion from receiving communion. Thank you both for joining me. Now, Bishop Nauman, Archbishop Nauman, this isn't the first time a directive like this has been given, as you both well, no. Archbishop Nauman, you previously sent the same sort of letter to former pro-abortion Kansas governor Kathleen Sebelius. As the former USCCB pro-life chair, what do you think went into Archbishop Cordiglione's decision last week? Well, I, I think Archbishop was concerned about the spiritual welfare of the speaker and that he had tried to dialogue with her on several occasions. Um, but that not being fruitful, I think he was concerned for her, but he, he also has to be concerned for how her actions are misleading other people. And he, he has a responsibility to protect his people from being confused. And in many ways, I think what the speaker did, and it was similar to Governor Sebelius, she not only supported and advocated for abortion, but she did so claiming to be a very, a very devout Catholic, a very engaged Catholic. And I think this is, when a politician does that, they, they cross another line because they're beginning to teach what it means to be a Catholic. They're, they're actually usurping the role of the bishop in, in teaching that. So I think uh, Archbishop Cardileone was was forced really to do what he did for hopefully for her good and that it might bring her to a, a, an awakening 
but also to protect others from being confused by her actions. Yes, and Bishop Paprocki, you have also had to deny a fellow Catholic from receiving communion, Senator Dick Durbin, and several other Illinois lawmakers as well. Can you talk about what went into your decision and your thoughts about Archbishop Cordiglione's actions now? Well, actually, the situation with uh, Senator Dick Durbin is something that I inherited here. Uh, before, long before I came here in 2004, uh, his pastor, then Monsignor Kevin Van, uh, uh, told him that he would be reticent to give him Holy Communion. And uh, then Monsignor Van is now Bishop Kevin Van of Orange, California. My predecessor, uh, Bishop George Lucas, who's now the Archbishop of Omaha, uh, upheld that uh, uh, position. And, and so when I became bishop in 2010 and was uh, asked about whether or not there had been a change to that uh, approach to Senator Durbin. I said, well, he has not changed his policy, so I think that should continue. So that has remained in place uh, since 2004. Mm -hmm. And then more recently, we've had some very aggressive pro-abortion legislation passed in the Illinois General Assembly in 2017. And, and again, in 2019, uh, legislation that provided for taxpayer funding of abortion, declared uh, abortion to be a fundamental right. And I had been in conversation with some of the uh, uh, leaders of the Illinois General Assembly, both of whom are Catholic. And uh, despite my warnings, they went ahead and um, pushed this legislation. So in 2019, I told the Speaker of the House of the Illinois General Assembly and the President of the Senate that they were not to receive Holy Communion. Uh, I thought just to be consistent, if that was the position with a federal official like a, a U.S. senator, uh, I had to take the same position with our state legislators. Surely. So uh, that, that action has been taken here, and, and so uh, I can understand very much why Archbishop Corleone did what he had to do, and I fully support it because I, I can see how careful he was in trying to reach out to Speaker Pelosi and, and uh, the fact that she basically was ignoring him. And as Archbishop Nauman was saying, she's trying to uh, pass this off as somehow you can be a, a good Catholic and and still be pro-abortion and and that's simply not the case and so we and the episcopacy uh who are the authentic magisterium of the church have to uh, uh make sure that we're clear about that teaching mm, yes and speaker pelosi she's pushing back she says pro-life views should not be imposed onto other people and she received communion this weekend here in dc what's your response to that archbishop nauman well you know it's in some ways it's not surprising that uh that she's been, you know, talked to before about the inconsistency of what she's doing in her leadership position and her Catholic faith. And um, I, I think we have to continue to pray that she has a, a conversion of heart. Um, but, and I, you know, it's sad because I think by defying uh, what's been requested of her, I think that she's compounding the moral guilt in terms about not telling other people what what to do, we do that. Every law that we have is, in a sense, uh, imposing some form of morality, but it's not a religious issue. This is a human rights issue. And so, I mean, it makes as much sense as, as saying, you know, I'm against racism, but I, I wouldn't impose that on anyone else except this is a matter of life and death. Mm. Yes, great point. And Bishop Paparaki, publicly self-proclaimed Catholics like President Biden and House Speaker Pelosi, they create division and confusion among American Catholics. So what can be done to correct their misrepresentation of what we believe? 
Well, I think that we need to continue to be clear, and bishops in particular need to uh, be clear about this uh, teaching. You know, it's interesting that uh, Speaker Pelosi seems to uh, treat Archbishop Cordelioni's uh, statement and his directive to her as simply another opinion, and she's free to choose whatever opinion she wants. Uh, his, uh, the Archbishop, uh, like all bishops, is a successor of the Apostles. We are uh, the custodians and the guardians of the tradition of the, of the faith. And, and so that's the, the authentic magisterium of the church that we have a responsibility uh, to uphold. So I, I think that, you know, over the years, I think there's been a great reluctance on the part of uh, all of us bishops. I mean, nobody wants to, to take a measure like this to tell somebody that you can't go to communion. We've been very patient, I believe. But I think as some politicians have become more and more strident uh, in their approach and compounding it by claiming that they can be pro-abortion and still be good Catholics, I think that puts uh, an even greater responsibility on us bishops uh, to respond. And so I, I, I think that this action by Archbishop Cordelioni uh, may be the first, and, and what we'll see other bishops uh, uh, also making similar statements. Mm, well, let's hope so. I want to thank you both for the clarity in which you speak on this. Archbishop Nauman of Kansas and Bishop Peprocki of Illinois, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Vice President Kamala Harris recently spoke with abortion providers in Oklahoma, Kansas, Texas, Missouri, and Montana. The majority of people in these states are strongly pro-life. Overturning Roe opens the door to restricting those rights. It would be a direct assault on the fundamental right to self-determination, to live and love without interference from the government. An outspoken pro-abortion advocate, Vice President Kamala Harris claimed there is a, quote, war on women's rights. She also mentioned the Life at Conception Act, which was just advanced by the Oklahoma State Legislature and is expected to be signed into law by Governor Kevin Stitt. The bill protects unborn children and women from abortion throughout pregnancy. Harris called the bill, quote, outrageous. And joining me now is Mallory Carroll, Vice President of Communications at the Susan B. Anthony List. Mallory, what did you make of VP Harris's recent remarks to abortion providers during this remote meeting? This is no surprise. Vice President Harris is one of the most pro-abortion radicals within a very radical pro-abortion administration. Um, you know, it's interesting to see this conversation come just a few weeks after major abortion groups pledged $150 million to the midterm elections to help elect additional pro-abortion voices. Um, I'm sure that this administration was very pleased with that. I thought it was interesting that um, that Senator, well, Vice President Harris, that she was distinguishing between these abortion providers and people in states like Oklahoma uh, who are seeking to pass laws that reflect the values of the people that live there, pro-life laws that say save the lives of unborn children and protect women. Um, this is, this is, you know, just underscores the reality that long gone are the days of safe, legal, and rare from this administration, from this party. Uh, and I thought it was very interesting that the live stream cut off before those abortion providers could talk about what it is that they're doing every day, taking the lives of unborn children and wounding women. Um, the White House clearly didn't want the American people to see both sides of that conversation. And we're talking about this Oklahoma pro-life law, the Life at Conception Act, which was passed on that same day that this meeting happened. Can you comment on the fact that as we wait for the court to hopefully overturn Roe, we're not just seeing limits advanced on abortion, but in some states, total bans are taking effect? 
That's right. Then this is what the people of those states are looking towards. Americans are so tired of abortion on demand up until the moment of birth, this slaughter of our fellow Americans, innocent unborn children, and the wounding of women. And for 50 years, the the tyranny of Roe versus Wade and court jurisprudence on this has prevented the American people from enacting pro-life protections. And so uh, states have had enough, and they are acting very creatively, you know, with hope um, given to us by this, the leak from the Supreme Court, that soon they will have the ability to implement these very strong pro-life protections that defend children all the way from the moment that they are in being, um, which of course is the moment of conception and protect women at the same time. Sure. Yes. And I want to shift gears for our last question. As a strong Catholic working in the movement, I'd love to get your brief thoughts on Archbishop Cordiglione's recent announcement that he will no longer administer communion to Speaker Nancy Pelosi. I understand she did attend Mass this past weekend and received communion at Holy Trinity Parish here in D.C. What do you think about that? You know, I think that Speaker Pelosi has separated herself from the truth of our Catholic faith and from the reality that um, life begins at conception. And, and as a pro-abortion pro politician, she has caused immense scandal to our church and to our cause by claiming this mantle of a, a devoutness while at the same time pushing for radical pro-abortion legislation. This um, is something that the archbishop, you know, he he spoke words to it, but she has separated herself from a long time for a long time from communion within the Catholic Church. And it's very interesting to see uneducated, uh, you know, non-Catholics in the media who support Speaker Pelosi and her position speaking about this as if the archbishop is doing something completely out of the blue. But this is a reflection of where Speaker Pelosi has put herself at this point. Right. And it's not political. It's pastoral. It's his duty, right? Mallory Carroll of the Susan B. Anthony List, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Prudence. The Supreme Court released more case opinions this week, but does not seem to be in a hurry to hand down its decision in the Dobbs case, which many anticipate will overturn Roe v. Wade. In the beginning weeks of what pro-abortion activists are calling their summer of rage, people on both sides of this debate have been taking to the streets here in D.C. and across the country. We wanted to sit down with someone who has been on the ground experiencing these events firsthand. And joining me now is Mary Margaret Olihan, reporter for The Daily Wire. Mary Margaret, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. It's been almost a month now since Justice Alito's draft opinion was leaked. And since then, you have been on the ground in front of the Supreme Court around the city talking to people about what they think about this moment. What are you hearing? Well, you're right. It's been so long, it seems like, since this leaked draft opinion. And I've been down at the court every Monday since to kind of wait and see if the decision will come that day, since we know these decisions or rulings come on Mondays. Right. I was down there on Monday this week, and there was a little crowd of pro-lifers out there. They were saying, we are the generation that sees the end of Roe v. Wade. Uh, they were protesting, uh, say, chanting pro-life slogans. Um, not a lot of pro-abortion protesters, because I don't think they thought it was coming this week. Mm. I'm hearing some buzz that maybe it'll be closer to the end of June. We will see. Uh, but in general, the vibe is very angry, very frenzied on the part of pro-abortion supporters. Um, they're just so worried, and they're confident that Roe is going to be overturned. And I'm hearing that on both sides of the aisle. The end of Roe is coming. Hmm. That's very exciting for us in the pro-life movement. And in your conversations with people on both sides of this issue, I just wanted to know, do these people understand what they're fighting for? Are they able to defend what they believe? 
Well, you'll see on the side of the pro-abortion advocates, they constantly talk about reproductive rights. They talk about protecting my body, my choice. Very, I would say, self-centered, self-focused language. A lot of me, my, I. Um, you also hear a lot about Roe. Now, only the people very well versed in this issue actually understand what Roe means. And if you talk to these protesters, they don't really know what Roe v. Wade means. Roe allows for almost unlimited abortion. But if you talk to some of these protesters, they have no idea. Mm. And that's, that's the same for most Americans. If you pull Americans on this issue, you have to be very specific in how you ask them about it. Because just saying, do you support Roe v. Wade, is not good enough because people don't know what that means. Right. I would say on the other side of the aisle, pro-life pro advocates are very excited for this overturn of Roe, and they're all prepping for what comes next. How do you help women who are in crisis who might have gotten an abortion and now they can't? Mm. Where do they go? Who houses them? Who gives them resources? So there's a lot of conversations like that mm. that I'm hearing right very now. Very interesting. And we've also been following the story very closely of the five babies who were aborted at the Washington Surgical Clinic in D.C. I know that you went there. Could you give us an update on what's going on in that case? Do we know anything about where these babies' bodies are? Yeah, well, unfortunately, Prudence, there isn't much of an update since D.C. officials are really uninterested in looking into this. We don't know if they've done autopsies yet. We don't know anything really about this. We're waiting to hear back from Bowser for many press inquiries that I've sent on behalf of the Daily Wire to Mayor Bowser, to the D.C. medical examiner, to this waste company that the baby's bodies were being sent to, to the abortion clinic itself, which is being represented by uh, the National Abortion Federation. Mm. Silence on all fronts. I'm, in my understanding, they're waiting for this to just go away, and in effect it has. I know there's some GOP lawmakers that are uh, occasionally pointing out that it has still not, we've still not gotten any answers on it. Right. And they're introducing different kinds of legislation to try and prevent this sort of thing. Mm. But unfortunately, we don't have a lot of answers. Mm. Well, we will continue to track that as much as we can. And finally, I saw that you recently wrote about how mainstream media personalities are reacting to the news that Archbishop Cordiglione has banned Nancy Pelosi from receiving communion. I believe you wrote about Joe Scarborough and Whoopi Goldberg, among others. What's been their reaction to this? Well, the reaction has been to save Nancy Pelosi at all costs. You know, anyone who criticizes Nancy Pelosi must be in the wrong. So Archbishop Corleone, who is one of the most vocal proponents of Catholic teaching and is very straightforward about what the Catholic Church teaches and what it doesn't, now all these media hosts are trying to interpret what the Catholic Church teaches and to tell us what the Catholic Church teaches. Um, and Joe Scarborough, for example, said this uh, on Tuesday morning on MSNBC. He suggested that Jesus Christ was not, uh, would not have said that abortion was wrong. He said that Jesus never mentioned abortion in the Bible, which is obviously laughable. I mean, he, he's suggesting that Jesus was supporting abortion? I, it's just absurd. <laughs> My goodness. So you have all these hosts coming out of the woodwork to defend Nancy Pelosi and saying how outrageous it is that anyone would criticize her religion. And that's something that gets me going, Prudence, because do you remember when Amy Coney Barrett was nominated to the Supreme Court and her Catholic faith was under the closest scrutiny possible? Right. People suggested that her faith made her unfit to serve on the Supreme Court. But when it comes to someone like Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi, anything they do is approved. All of their beliefs are approved because mm. their, their ideology their ideology fits with the mainstream media's ideology. Very interesting double standard there. Well, Mary Margaret, thank you so much for these updates. We look forward to seeing you again soon on the show. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Coming up, a pro-abortion advocate and Democrat witness tells the House Judiciary Committee that men can get pregnant and have abortions. I speak out next. 
Plus, we take you to Belmont Abbey College, a Catholic school in North Carolina dedicated to the education of students in the liberal arts and sciences with a foundation of faith. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. In a pro-abortion hearing on Capitol Hill, a Democrat witness lied, saying that men can become pregnant and have abortions. That is this week's Speak Out segment. The hearing was titled, Revoking Your Rights, the Ongoing Crisis in Abortion Care Access. The woman who made this outrageous claim is Amy Arambide, who leads an abortion rights nonprofit called Avow Texas. Let's take a listen to this outrageous exchange between her and pro-life congressman Dan Bishop. Um, what do you say a woman is? I believe that everyone can identify for themselves. Okay. Um, do you believe then that men can become pregnant and have abortions? Yes. Did we hear that correctly? This woman seems to need a lesson in basic biology. Arambide has a law degree and also studied philosophy, yet she claims that men can get pregnant? The pro-abortion lobby is not sending their best with this one, but it's good news for us. The more the pro-abortion side divorces themselves from reality and common sense, the easier it is to expose the lies they are sowing into our laws and our society. Let's be clear, men cannot get pregnant, and the Democrat Party that claims to be all about women's rights abandons the true nature of women with statements like these. A small Catholic college in North Carolina is breaking barriers as it seeks to educate students in the liberal arts and sciences while keeping the Catholic faith at the core of their mission. Dr. William Fearfelder, president of Belmont Abbey College and father of 10, sat down with us to discuss the rich history behind the Catholic school and shares how they have always been pro-life at Belmont Abbey. I am here with Dr. Bill Fierfelder, the president of Belmont Abbey College. Thanks for joining me and spending some time with me this morning, Dr. Fierfelder. Oh, Prudence, I'm so happy to be here. This is <laughs> awesome. So you went from being an all-American high jumper to being a father of 10 kids and the president of Belmont Abbey College. Just walk me through that journey. Wow, that's a hard journey to walk you through. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll kind of just short, shorten it and just say that, uh, first of all, I had no intention of ever going to higher ed. It was one of these things, I was actually reading the National Catholic Register, mm -hmm. and I'm reading this article on the left-hand side. Now, the corner of my eye caught the word Benedictine. It was actually an ad for the president of Belmont Abbey College. Never heard of it before. Don't know why I didn't go back to reading the article, but for some reason I'll read this ad, and then I cut it out, brought it home to my wife, Mary, and said, you know, what do you think about this? I know she's looking at me thinking, what are you thinking about this? And I, I said, uh, you know, we talked about it for maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes. That's it. There's not going to be no more to this. And next five days, I keep seeing the piece of paper. It's in my pocket, it's in my folder, and I don't know why on the fifth day I feel compelled. I'm, I'm president of a company in, in Pennsylvania. We live in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And I said, um, I call up this guy, he answers the phone. I said, look, you might think I'm crazy. I'm not looking for a job. Can you tell me more about this? And after about 40 minutes on the phone with him, he says, I think you're the person for this job. Now, I'm from the Bronx, New York. You know, constant hustles happen really fast. I figure I'll be giving this guy a credit card number in about five minutes. You too could be a president <laughs> of a college. And he ends up, he ends up saying to me, uh, I really need to meet you right away. Now this is, at this point, it's the hour of mercy. It's three o'clock on a Tuesday. And he says, I need to meet you right away. And I'm like, well, when do we need to meet? 
And he said, this Friday morning, i got to meet you this Friday. I said, I can't. I have a meeting in Pittsburgh with Dick's Sporting Goods. I can't meet you. He says, I'm flying through Pittsburgh on Friday morning. I said, okay, God, I'll go meet him at the airport. I go meet him. He's interviewing me for two hours, asking me about my scholarly background, which I do not have. Um, matter of fact, when I went to the University of Maryland, they told me my major was eligibility. <laughs> so I go in. I have this meeting with him. At the end of it, I figure he's going to say, be on your way. Instead, he catches me completely off guard, and he says, I'm now confirmed. You're the person for this job. You're still interested. I heard myself say yes, and I remember leaving the airport thinking, I just told this guy I'm interested in being the president of Belmont Abbey College. I've never seen it before. We couldn't, there was not even really a website to go look at. But I've always trusted in divine providence. I put it in God's hands. I went to my meeting. Almost forgot about it. Six weeks later, they called up and said, would you and your wife come down? We said yes. I don't know about you, but when we drove up for the first time, we were like, Oh, I mean, we felt there was something here. Let's talk a little bit about your family. As I mentioned before, you have 10 kids, and yeah. I'm sure that when people hear that, their immediate response is, oh my gosh, 10 yeah. kids. Yeah. What does that say about our culture? And what needs to change, and how does the, the culture at Belmont Abbey kind of come up against that? The way I would say it to you is, like, we didn't start off with some contest here to have, like, you know, as many children as possible. If you could have one child, I often say to people, if you could just have one child, and let's say they do have one child. I said, would you be willing to die for your child? And everybody says, of course I would. And I said, I, all I can tell you is we've got 10. I, we have 10 that we are so blessed. And if you have the physical, mental, and resource to have another, why wouldn't you? And so we are just open to life. And uh, we've been very blessed. And I, I'm blessed beyond my ability to comprehend, actually. I mm. mean, the, the 10 children are just so amazing. And, and the more children you have, this may sound strange, um, the more you have, the more uniqueness you recognize each human being. Because when you have a lot of them, you recognize different personalities, different skills, talents, and abilities, each so unique. And then to think that God allows you and your wife, my wife Mary, to participate in creating a new soul for eternity. Not for a hundred years, forever. Wow. I, I mean, that's mind-blowing. That, that's hard to almost take in. Right. Yeah. So we are just blessed and so happy. And then here, uh, first of all, we, we have a lot of families that come here that have very large families, so it's not that unusual. Uh, and the place here has always been pro-life. Go back to Providence. This place is a, a story of divine Providence, how it got here. I mean, North Carolina at the time that they came here only had about 700 Catholics in the whole state of North Carolina. So this is like a little Mother Angelica thing here wow. a little bit, right? right. I mean, yeah, very similar. It's almost like, what's going on? Like, how would you even think about doing this here, right? right. And uh, so they were, they got this track of land, again, providentially, like all these things happened, um, for $10. They bought the 700 acres, tried to give it to religious orders to come here and start a community of school. The Jesuits, Redemptors, a host of others. They all said, no, why would we go to North Carolina? There's nobody, no Catholics here. How would we support ourselves? God has a good sense of humor, offers this through Cardinal Gibbons to these German-speaking monks who have come from Bavaria up in Pennsylvania. They say yes. They send down one monk. I don't know how this happens. He picks up two students in Richmond on his way through. They arrive here April 21st, 1876. They start class the day they arrive. There is nothing on this property but two shacks with holes in the roof. Wow. That is the beginning of Belmont Abbey College. The beautiful Gothic brick buildings you see here, these monks literally dug up the red clay, formed them into bricks, dried them in the sun, designed the buildings, and built all the buildings by hand. I mean, it's it's amazing. Let's talk a little more about that providence when it comes to Maravilla, which exists here on campus. Yes. Talk about the goal of Maravilla and how that folds into Belmont Abbey. You know, you're taking these women in who find themselves pregnant in college. You're giving them a home, an education, right. a community. Talk to me about that. It's really remarkable. And I think going back to the start of Maravilla, it was the recognition that the, the, 
the people that were being most impacted by abortion were college-age women who were feeling like somehow their lives would be over, they couldn't continue, uh, didn't have support, felt you know abortion might be the only avenue for them. So when they saw that, they made a commitment to say, we want to really focus on college-age women. The monastic community here gave them the land to build their building on. So it's right, literally, it's on our campus, as you've probably been over yes. to it. Uh, Gothic brick, you know, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Looks like it fits right here on our campus. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's so wonderful. And what we did here is say that we would provide the education at no cost to any of the women that were there. Um, so they can come, and if they are at another university, they can transfer their credits there. But we don't charge them anything for them to continue their education. And it's been a wonderful experience for our students because a lot of them volunteer there. Uh, even just having these women in their classes, you know, they'll have a baby shower, you know, for somebody. And it just, it, it helps our students to recognize that if you're going to be pro-life, you got to put your money where your mouth is, as they say, right? you got to, you got to put out. It's not just saying, hey, I'm pro-life. It's like, what are you doing about it? Right. Um, and so we support those women that are having children, that are having a baby. And we, and to be honest with you, I think that's what we need to do. This should be a model I think for the whole United States of America, this should be everywhere. Um, I know some people have a little trepidation about, well, you know, should we be encouraging women to have, you know, children out of Well, of course not. But once someone is in this position, what should we do? Abandon them or should we support them? And so we've taken the role of supporting them and it has been just a blessing to have them here. Amen. Well, Belmont Abbey is certainly a light in the world today. Thank you so much, Dr. Oh, Bill Thierfelder. I appreciate it. God bless you. You too. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing prolifeweekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.